yard touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Toward the five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tiger Town. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? Oh, I'll have more on Brandon Banks coming up for you in just a little bit here on CFP. It is the breakdown. Thank you for being here as always. My name is Marshall Ferguson, and over there on the other side of the Zoom is at DT on S. Oh, Derek's not here. Sorry, where's Derek? Derek? Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Derek is under the weather this week, a little bit short notice. So you are flying solo with me. It's been a long time since I've done a solo podcast. It'll obviously be a little bit shorter. It obviously won't be the same. It's also going to be audio exclusive because if I decide to turn on the video, I think we would be just rambling around and talking about X's and O's and things for far too long. And that's not entertaining at all to you as a, as a listening audience. So I did not want to do that. I put the poll question out there on my personal Twitter account at TSN underscore Marsh and at CF perspective saying, uh, Hey, what do you guys want me to do with this podcast doing this solo? And some of you actually said, Hey, watch the film. I think that's something that we can do as we get deeper into the season and towards maybe even the playoffs. We do like special breakdown podcasts where DT and I do just video exclusives for our YouTube page where we sit down, put on a game and just talk about the things that jump out to us ahead of a big playoff matchup. I think that would be a lot of fun. So uh, I am looking forward to doing that. But for today, I'm going to bounce around, talk about some of the headlines of the week. I've got some interesting things I've been looking at kind of in the shadows here that I wanted to bring up and, and discuss uh, with you and for you. And uh, going to play some audio as well regarding Wednesday night football. Uh, because if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's the Ticats and the Red Blacks. It's the vaunted David Watford, Dominic Davis matchup that we all expected to have at the start of the season. And so we will talk about that as well coming up. But first, I got to let you know, of course, our good friends at Fox 40 are making this podcast possible. And we want you to support them as a thank you. If you're not geared up for game day yet, what are you doing? Head over to fox40shop.com for Fox 40 gear, whistles, and coaching boards. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order. And of course, Sawdust City Brewing, you go over to their website, you take a look at some of the descriptions of the beers, you fall in love, and then you order those beers and you use the promo code CFL to get free shipping on your first order over $100 available to Ontario residents only and must be of legal drinking age. Want to give a quick shout out here as well off the top to Wade Zanketa and Connor O'Neill for the work that they've done after the first week of the OUA show. Uh, I don't know if we actually said this publicly, but we did a great, I think we might've on Martian Mellow on Monday, but we did a great show. I thought on Sunday morning live on YouTube, and then we posted it and then there was no audio. And so Wade and Connor, I said, can you guys do the OUA show again? Uh, because I don't have time because I'm calling the Argonauts and the Alouettes game on Friday night this week. And I've got a lot of other stuff going on. And they said, yeah, of course. And they were excited to do it. And they posted the show and I watched it last night and damn, it was good. Uh, <laughs> if you want to check that out again, our YouTube page, the OUA show is where you can go to get that. And then they're posting all this great social content as well. Players of the week, the OUA is really, really cool. And honestly, I had a moment on 
Tuesday when the players of the week came out where I was extremely proud of what we've done here at CFP. And I didn't expect to feel that, but with the OUA, we signed this partnership agreement throughout the 2021 season where we said, hey, let us handle some of the content for you, whether it be video, uh, highlights, podcasts, you know, digital audio, things like that. And in response, they said, okay, that's, that's great. We have this players of the week thing that we usually do, but we usually help the team select, but they just send in their suggestions and then we have to decide in the league. And they said, you guys are watching the games closer. We've got a lot of things going on at the OUA. Would you like to be in charge of selecting the players of the week? Absolutely. So we go ahead, we get together as a panel on Sunday. We look back at box scores. We talk about the way the games unfolded and we kind of come to a consensus. Okay, we've got two of the three that we want. We send them into the OUA and they end up saying, okay, we like two of the three uh, that you've got here. The third one, we're going to suggest somebody else and you guys can kind of debate the people that we've submitted and the, and the people that you had in mind. And so we do, we come to a consensus after that and then everything gets sent out on Tuesday. But it's the university teams saying, hey, it's the CF Perspective Players of the Week. I'm like, Damn, this, this was just like a little pipe dream. Like I, I remember Photoshopping the logo myself and starting the Twitter account, clicking begin and starting the website and uploading it and building the website myself because I had no damn idea what I was doing. So to see it legitimized by Ontario University Athletics and university football programs across the province of Ontario, for them to be calling things, you know, the CF Perspective uh, Players of the Week was really, really fun. And I, I appreciate that everybody has enjoyed the opening week. We didn't even have that many great games. Like, wait until we have great games and then Connor and Wade can do some some film breakdown and, and some deeper things on the OUA, because I do think that that's where we are headed. But OUA.TV, by the way, it's free for all football games, streaming live and on demand. And OUA.ca for stat standing scores, et cetera, is where you can go to get all of that information. Uh, great to see the CBC as well sign on this week with U Sports Football, being able to give them a home for the Vanier Cup and much, much more over I believe it's the next four years that they're going to end up having that so CBC is a is a great broadcast partner uh, for university athletics it feels like it's the right place for them to be at this moment in time Uh, the Vanier Cup I think is so special that you cannot not have an established television broadcast partner I'd love to have it for many other games throughout the year I'd love to be part of that but we need to have the Vanier Cup on television and we need to, to celebrate that because whether you are at the Vanier Cup or if you're at the Great Cup or the Great Cup Festival or you just love that weekend in late November, early December in a typical year, you need to have that on your Saturday. Like there's something really special when you're at a Great Cup Festival. And I know this because I've lived this of being at a Great Cup Festival and getting set for Saturday night's social events, whether it be a Great Cup tweet up or Uh, going out and seeing some people that you haven't in a long time or a media get together or whatever. And in the afternoon, everybody in the Canadian football family kind of, I don't want to say shuts it down because there's still people that go out to bars and have beers and watch the game, but everybody's kind of aware of the Vanier cup when they line up on the same weekend. Now I want you to imagine what that would be like if everybody was so aware of the Vanier cup as they are at the great cup festival for the most part, but the Vanier cup was being played at the Great Cup on a Saturday afternoon. Now it's tough because you've got the Great Cup walkthroughs. And in 2011, when I was playing with McMaster in the Vanier Cup and the Vanier Cup was paired up with the Great Cup out there in Vancouver, you ended up having us playing on the Friday night. Well, 
we didn't have any complaints. It was fantastic. I mean, as part of Great Cup Festival, Friday night, people came out. We had 20 some odd thousand people that were down there at BC Place. So there's lots of ways to do this correctly, but you need to have a broadcast partner in order to be able to grow the awareness, I think, of that. And what we're doing at CFP with the OUA clips, I, th- I hope is something that we grow into doing with U Sports across the board and hiring on people that are covering Canada West and doing the same great work. So lots and lots of potential there moving forward. But for now, Heading into week two of the OUA season, if you want a full update, you can go over and uh, listen to All Canadian coming out for you on Thursday. Uh, All right, the first thing that I wanted to get to here for you is I bounced my way through all of these topics. And if you hate the sound of my voice by the end of this, I apologize because, as I say, you're going to be stuck with me Friday night for the Alouettes and the Argonauts on TSN. But quarterback debuts from week number seven in the CFL. I'll get into some funky stats on this. I've got some receiver comparison things I want to dive into as well here for you on the breakdown. But the quarterback debuts of Taylor Cornelius alongside uh, David Watford for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I just throw it here to the huddle up segment from the CFL on TSN for a moment. Davis Sanchez, Matt Dunnigan, and Milt Steele discussing which of those two quarterback debuts impressed them more. I had not heard of Taylor Cornelius. Taylor? I apologize. I underestimated you. Oh. He showed me some. For his first time out there, I, I like what he did. Uh, uh, really I a, did. It's really not a fair <laughs> comparison because Watford's been late for three years. Cornelius, he's got no idea what's going on. He's figuring it out on the fly. Yeah. I'm going Watford, 19-22. to 22. He led his team to victory, a big victory of the Calendar Stampeders. First time that they put a loss. Shouldn't he get Levi's. more points for not yeah, knowing? You, you, you know what, Taylor? He, he did pretty well. He yeah. showed me yeah. something. Yeah, but he did. He didn't yeah. win the game. Watford won the game, Thank so regardless – what you do, if you don't win the game, it means nothing. Thank so I'm you. going with Watford. All right. All right, Halloween is approaching. So the biggest Ooh. nightmare of week number seven, was it trying to... T- All right, we'll get into biggest nightmares maybe in a second. But the interesting there, Mel Stiegel goes, QB wins, as DT likes to say, uh, because quarterback wins as a statistic, not very telling. I mean, Bo Levi, we give him the credit for the highest winning percentage, and yes, he's influenced that significantly, but uh, I'm not a big believer in using that wide-ranging stat. The other thing is Matt Tunnigan mentions 19 of 22 there, and this is where I kind of lead into some of the research I was doing this week, because I went into BC Montreal week number seven, the early game on the Saturday evening, thinking, man, this is going to be an air show. And the reason that I thought that was, well, obviously Michael Riley likes to stretch the field, and we know that Vernon Adams Jr. likes to stretch the field. So I started looking at air yards, and air yards are just how far the ball travels on each pass attempt through the air before they hit the hands or the intended target. Uh, And so you start looking at what do air yards mean? Why am I looking into this? I looked into it because, first and foremost, I'm calling the Alouettes game, as I say, and Vernon Adams Jr., the things he's been doing vertically passing and challenging defenses down the field. I wanted to get an actual metric for, okay, but how different is he than the rest of the league? Because if any of you are watching the games the way I am or watching all the games like I am, then I think you realize, okay, Vernon's playing a bit of a different game than everybody else at this point. And so I looked into air yards and what came of this for me was that, yes, Vernon Adams Jr. is extremely different and he is essentially throwing vertically more than any other quarterback and at times more than both teams in other games are throwing vertically so the thing that jumped out to me with this is that uh, in terms of yards in air total for single games the top two performances of any game uh, are (laughs) Vernon Himes Jr. It was week three Montreal against Calgary 
he had 705 yards in the air. Okay. He was 20 of 42 in that game. He only completed 47.6%, 47.6% of his passes. But again, when you're throwing deep, your completion percentage is going to drop. I think we all understand that. So that was an extremely low completion percentage relative to the rest of the league and the averages. But then he comes back in week seven this past week. And my eye was telling me he was throwing deep a lot. And it was correct because he ended up throwing it 650 air yards in that game as well. 705 yards in one game, 650 air yards in the other. And to kind of drive home the point on this as well, I was looking at the percentage of air yards you know, between the two teams. In that game where Vernon threw for 705, he had 71% of the total air yards between Montreal and Calgary. You know, I'm looking at the split and saying, well, how lopsided is this in terms of one team throwing vertically and the other not throwing vertically? 71% of the air yards in a single game is by far the most for one team in the entire game. Now, the only thing that challenges that is the 71% of the air yards for Bo Levi Mitchell in week seven against David Watford and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And this is the grand extremes that I bring up to you here. The air yards that I looked at, I see the way that Vernon Adams Jr. is throwing it so aggressively down the field and having the top two air yard performances on the year and how much he's challenging defenses. And then you see the 19 of 22 from David Watford, and I'm guilty of this too. Yes, I think we all understood the offense didn't look fantastic for Hamilton uh, in terms of explosive plays, in terms of blowing it up on the scoreboard. And we, we're so used to seeing Dane Evans, Jeremiah Masoli, Braylon Addison, and Brandon Banks, and all these names that, you know, Devere Posey, hopefully when he gets into the lineup, and Jalen Acklin. We're used to seeing them put the ball up, go vertically, and challenge defense. I mean, hell, the first drive of the year in Winnipeg, it was a bomb from Masoli down the left sideline in Winnipeg to get a touchdown to Jalen Acklin. But in that game, and again, keep in mind, 705 yards in one game, 650 yards in the other for Vernon Adams Jr. In that game where David Watford ended up going 19 of 22, I'm just going to throw this out there for you. I'll let you linger in your thoughts for about five seconds of silence here. Maybe I'll, I'll pull up a little Jeopardy music for you because a little bit of trivia time. How many air yards on 22 attempts, how many total air yards do you believe David Watford had in that week seven game against Calgary? Here we go. That's enough time. Uh, by the way, that snake that tried to get that job through Jeopardy, whew, man, he should just be banned from television in general at this point. Anyways, uh, how, how do we not have hologram Alex Trebek is my question. We have the technology. I've seen Tupac. Okay, I've seen him at a concert. Where was it? I don't know. Lollapalooza or something like that. Anyways, we need him. Uh, but then I look at this air yards total from David Watford. 93. 93 air yards. It is the least air yards in any game thus far in the 2021 CFL season. Now, he only had 22 attempts, so that's going to limit your total air yards, but his average on throw attempts was 4.04. If you lay down, you as a human being are essentially, if you are a six-foot-something male, I don't know the exact math on this, you're essentially four yards long. So if you are, if not exactly, but if you are a quarterback in the Canadian Football League and you are throwing 
four yards on average. 19 of 22 is impressive, yes. But the Tiger Cats won that football game in week seven because of the decision-making of David Watford to not make the bad throw, to not have the interception or the turnover. It feels like the Ticats were banking on Bo Levi at some point making one bad decision and their defense or special teams making them pay for it. Sure enough, Simone Lawrence ends up in the end zone and you end up getting yourself that one off decision, that one tipped football that goes the other direction. Now, this is where this all ties in together in terms of the air yards and the aggression down the field and, and how teams are playing. And stylistically, the only other game in which you end up having a quarterback that is near 100 yards total for air yards in that game, right? It's 93 for David Watford in that game. The only one that's even close to being in and around 100, <laughs> it's Ottawa. What game is it? It's week one when they got their victory. It was 5.1 yards in air per attempt on just 20 attempts as Matt Nichols in that opening game gets the victory with one of the worst offensive performances that we've seen over the last five years in the Canadian Football League. So do air yards always result in wins? No. Do air yards always result in great fireworks? No. They are simply a measurement of how you are playing the game, how much you are attacking and how much success you're having can be measured by other things like completion percentage, number of attempts that you're having, uh, production grade, all these things that we kind of look at when I'm tracking games with CFP. But uh, I put together this game chart for every game throughout the year with a percentile of where quarterbacks rank in terms of number of passing attempts, completion percentage, yards in air. And then I take those three things, which is how essentially how often is your coach asking you to make a throw? How often are you completing that throw and how deep is that throw to show how explosive things are being with you, how often you're completing and moving the chains and how much they're leaning on you as a quarterback. I take those three things, I average them out, and that gives me a game score, which is just something I was messing around with the other day to try and understand, okay, who has the best game score of the year thus far? And when I put this together, what came back on the other side, the only people that ended up in the elite game score category, if I can call it that, which is above 150 when you divide these, again, the math is not important, but the elite game score situations, Zach Kalaros week two against the Toronto Argonauts. He was 32 of 40. That's 83% completion. Uh, or sorry, that's 83rd percentile in terms of amount of passing they're asking him to, to complete. He had an 87% completion percentage and his average yards and error was about 7.5, which put him in the 15th percentile. But regardless, they were leaning on him. They were asking him to do some things, and he responded. Then I see uh, from week number one, Trevor Harris, 33 of 44 from week number one against the Ottawa Red Blacks in that loss. He has the second-best game score by this metric of the year. Trevor Harris, week five against Calgary on Labor Day. That also was a top-five elite game score. Calgary against Winnipeg. Jake Mayer in the game where he went 31 of 40. That's the fourth-best performance and then the fifth best performance is week number three, Cody Fajardo up against the Ottawa Red Blacks in week number three, 30 of 35. He ends up completing 85.7% of his passes and his average depth of target ended up being at 12, which is uh, pretty special there as well. So uh, by the way, the deepest target average that you had in that game, uh, in those five games was actually Trevor Harris for Edmonton, for the Elks against Calgary on Labor Day. So something to keep in mind when you think of Trevor Harris as being dink and dunk. He can be at times, but once in a while, man, he, he opens it up and lets it fly a little bit. Uh, but the worst quarterback performances uh, so far throughout the year, 
uh, the bottom five, if you will, from fifth worst down to the very worst, uh, I end up having Winnipeg against Toronto, which interesting that in week two, it was the best. In week three, it was one of the worst. Kalaros ends up going 18 of 33, just 54% of his passes completed and 8.6 yards in air average. Calgary against Montreal in week number three, where 16 of 29, not great for the St. Peter's quarterbacking there. Uh, and then it was uh, Montreal against Edmonton and Ottawa against Edmonton. So Edmonton's defense actually has, and this might tell you something as well, kind of reverse engineering this, Edmonton's defense actually has three of the top five uh, worst quarterback performances of the year. Is Edmonton's defense really good? Or are teams struggling against them in a way that is unrealistic and probably not sustainable? That's for you to make up your own mind. But uh, regardless, it is, uh, it's interesting to see some of those numbers come together. So Ottawa going up against uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It's Watford and it's Davis. And so you have two guys where, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Ottawa had 51 passing attempts, 51 passing attempts. And uh, that's completely different than the 19 of 22 ball control offense that we've seen in the last little while here from the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats with David Wofford as he's getting set to get his next start in the Canadian Football League. And I, I just look around right now at what's happening with some of these situations and, uh, and the way that things are playing out with the quarterbacking. And it does make me wonder, you know, what, what is this game going to look like on Wednesday evening for the Hamilton Tiger Cats when David Wofford gets his second start? Are they going to expand the package? Will they continue to go with uh, some of the, the full house backfield type of setup that they've had in the last little while here, getting ready for uh, David Watford to maybe grow into that role? Because I've seen Tommy Condell do this at various points before where he gets Jeremiah Masoli going into a playoff game in Ottawa, ironically enough, and he comes out with a bunch of stuff that I had never seen before from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He opened it up and he allowed him to work and to not be restricted. So here's Orlando Steinauer from the Hamilton Tiger Cats talking about the injury situation and the depth chart going into tonight's game. upon a starter for a Wednesday night. How you doing, Dan? Yes, we have. May I ask who that person may be? You sure can. We'll start are, you, are, are you willing to act, willing to answer? <laughs> no, I just we're going to start, David. Yeah. What did he show you on Friday night? Uh, just poise, uh, toughness, um, able to overcome some adversity. Uh, you know, it's a lot. It's, it's not just about the plays called in the in the execution. Of course, that's how you win. But there's managing the huddle. There's, you know, big shots that you take when you're sore. There's getting them out of the huddle. There's, you know, understanding getting them in field goal range, not turning the ball over, understanding the situation. There's just so much go that goes into, you know, playing the toughest position on the football field that uh, I was impressed with uh, outside of just the tangible numbers at the end of the game of three incompletions and how the game was called and thought Tommy did an outstanding job, obviously, but I thought the players did a great job of executing some plays that uh, we hadn't run previously. Uh, while the whole game plan wasn't, or plays weren't all brand new, there were there were a few. So um, really impressed with, uh, you know, just our receivers on the outside being willing blockers and whatnot. So um, David did a good job of managing all of that. Is it safe to assume that Jeremiah will be the backup on Wednesday? Yeah, I don't have any, Jeremiah, he'll be ready to go. Okay. And any update on Speedy and whether he'll be ready to go this week? Yeah, there is, and I'll uh, wait till I, I tomorrow. Don't mind, I don't mind. I don't mind uh, 
not keeping the suspense there for three and a half hours early, but uh, Speedy will not go this week. No. Okay. So Brandon Banks is still out at this point, which is unfortunate for the Ticats. And that leads me into uh, my next topic here on the breakdown, which is I've been wondering after Lucky Whitehead got the touchdown against the Montreal Alouettes, exactly where Lucky Whitehead's first six games of 2021 stack up against the first six games of one Brandon Banks from his MOP campaign of 2019. Now, I'm not saying that Lucky Whitehead is the MOP and he's the runaway and he needs to get, uh, you know, all of the votes from everybody because he's been so uh, special, but he's been pretty unique and pretty elite, especially for somebody that you did not think of being a, a difference maker offensively. You thought he was probably more of a return man, maybe a package guy. And I think that's what BC thought when they brought him in as well. But no, he's he'd become the complete player that not sure even they anticipate, which is a very nice surprise because they've always needed a little bit of depth behind Brian Burnham in that receiving core. I uh, had a listener, Lauren Smith, who, thank you, Lauren, retired news editor at the province in the Vancouver Sun, sent in uh, this topic because I just kind of mentioned it in passing the other day before I dug in and actually did the research. And I said, I don't, I don't know what the actual numbers were. And he said, well... Uh, Banks in 2019 had 42 catches through his first six games. Whitehead had 30. They both, this is weird, have 554 yards. (laughs) So that tells you maybe why we're feeling the way that we're feeling about this. But 554 yards, two receiving touchdowns for Whitehead, three receiving touchdowns for Banks. Banks also had one rushing touchdown and two missed field goal return touchdowns, which is crazy. Lucky Whitehead does have that one missed field goal return touchdown against, I believe, Ottawa. But uh, it's pretty similar in that sense. And then I looked at some of the unique metrics that we have at CFP that we kind of judge these things by. And I found that to be interesting, too. So offensive targets uh, at this point in the season in 2019, Speedy had 69, Lucky has 42. The percentage of the team's offensive targets Speedy 22%, Lucky 15%. So there's a difference there. Speedy was being leaned on much more heavily early on. Uh, a little bit more pass heavy for Lucky Whitehead because they use Banks in kind of the jet sweep game where you hand it off. Total yards in the air. I was talking about this with quarterbacks, just in terms of how vertical they're throwing to certain receivers. Speedy at this point had 738 in 2019. Lucky White had 549. So again, Speedy, a couple more targets, a little bit more in the pass game, and also a little bit more vertical. But average yards in air per target, and this is the one that really matters because, yeah, he's got like 27 more targets at this point in the year, Brandon did in 2019. The average depth of target is actually deeper for Lucky Whitehead. So in terms of being more explosive, if that's what you want to use as a metric, that's what you can get out of it. Percentage of total yardage via in the air, Brandon Banks 72%, Lucky Whitehead 67%. And then yards after the catch, Uh, a little bit higher for Lucky Whitehead. This is the interesting one for me, though. Production grade. And production grade, if you're not familiar, what I do is look at every snap down distance situation and give it a score of zero to five. Zero is an interception to turnover. Uh, You have to leave the field because something's gone horribly wrong. Uh, One is when you end up having to leave the field for a punt or a field goal because as an offense, you just you didn't do your job. Two is you didn't gain more than three, four yards on first down. Uh, and three is you gain more than three or four yards on first down or on second down, you gained enough to put yourself in a quarterback sneak situation. Four is a first down, five is a touchdown. So zero to five, that's the scale that I use for all these snaps, for the downs, the distances, the situations. And I assign these zero to five production grades to every play in the game. And when you filter out by the targets of Lucky Whitehead from the first six games of 2021 and 
the first targets that you end up having from Brandon Banks in 2019. Production grade, Brandon Banks, 52.4. Lucky Whitehead, 60.4. Lucky Whitehead is the more productive player offensively right now. Take out the number of targets, take out the percentage of team offensive targets, take out the uh, total air yards. Lucky Whitehead has deeper targets on average than Brandon Banks from his MOP campaign through the first six games. And he is more productive on a per target basis here in 2021 through the first six games than Brandon Banks was in 2019. So just something to think about there in terms of how good Lucky Whitehead has been, because I think we all remember how unique Brandon Banks felt and rightfully so in 2019 through the first six games. And that essentially was when Jeremiah Masoli went down against Winnipeg in 2019. Dane Evans had to come in and had to start kind of finding his way through all of that. And Brandon might've struggled for a little while in that spot, but uh, it is interesting to see those two side by side. In terms of Canadian receivers, this caught my eye as well this week and wanted to bring it up here on the podcast with or without DT, uh, is that Canadian receivers, obviously Keen Schaefer-Baker had a tremendous game on Friday night against the Toronto Argonauts. And it vaulted him up into the Canadian uh, receiver uh, leaderboard, if you will. Nick Dembski, is the top Canadian at ninth overall in the CFL. Five games played. He's got himself 30 targets, 24 catches, 360 yards, and two touchdowns. Okay, so Nick Dembski is the gold standard as it stands right now for Canadian receivers. At number two, with six games played, so again, an extra game compared to Nick Dembski because he was out with an injury, is Mike Jones from Edmonton, the former Hamilton Tiger Cat. 27 targets, 21 catches, 310 yards, and two touchdowns. Pretty close, though, between those two guys. At number three, it's Kane Schaefer-Baker. Four games played. Four games played. He's got 25 targets, 21 catches. That's a really high percentage. And I believe one of those targets for him was actually knocked down at the defensive line of scrimmage. So he should be essentially 22 of 25, which is a crazy stickiness rate, as DT likes to call it. 256 yards. He's got that one tremendous touchdown. He's a really, really good player. And he's third in Canadian receiving right now behind only Dembski and Mike Jones. And Braden Lenius, his teammate, is right behind him. But Braden Lenius has played in all six games. And Braden Lenius was thought to be the star of training camp for Saskatchewan coming out of the other side of that. So uh, that's pretty amazing that Kane Schaefer-Baker has been in this spot. And uh, I look forward to seeing him back in action uh, coming up shortly here because it's BC's defensive backfield. They're going to be keying on, I think, Kane Schaefer-Baker going into that game because he's become a playmaker for them. Uh, Friday night, I'll round out the podcast by talking about this. You're going to end up having the Alouettes and the Argonauts. And of course, Chris Jones has been hired on as a defensive consultant, which is not really a consultant because he's going to have the reins. It has been reported by Dave Naylor in terms of calling the defense on Friday night in the game that I will be working alongside Dwayne Ford and Matthew Schnetti. Uh, here is Ryan Dinwiddie on Chris Jones, former CFL coach of the year, joining the Argonauts staff. He's established uh, coordinator in this league and, and uh, had success year in, year out. Uh, I got to play in Montreal in 05 when he was a D coordinator there. That's the first time I really got to meet him. And then I haven't worked with him since then. Uh, just, you know, had a game plan against him and, and play against him uh, at another stop. So I just think he does a great job. Uh, players really vibe with him. Uh, he controls his defense. He, he gets out to those guys and, 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 uh, they respect him, and they know that they're going to get an opportunity to play some good football. For me, I just felt like Chris was the best uh, coach available to help us win a great cup, and I owe that to our players to get the best guy in the building, and that's Chris. Do you get a sense of how long it could take before he's kind of up to speed with what you guys are trying to do here? 
Yeah, I think he'll be as up to speed as we can be. He's been working at it hard. He's been in the hotel for the last four or five days, just grinding, getting after the film, seeing what our players do best, learning the system that's in place now. It's in place now. Yeah, we can't just like uh, turn over New Leaf and start brand new. So he's got to learn kind of what's going on, how we're doing it. And then as we get going, he can slowly implement some of his stuff. Coach, I'm curious how it all came together hiring Chris Jones. Yeah, we, me and Murph and Penner kind of sat down. It was like, what's our, our best uh, you know, avenue we should take here? We, we felt comfortable with Stoops. Well, it was just Stoops and Kevin. And, and Kevin's helping out with the special teams. That's just a lot of work for two guys. So we felt like we needed to bring someone in here. Um, Two names were thrown around, and then Chris's name was thrown around, and I said, you know what? Uh, I think Chris is the best thing for our players and for us to be successful. So, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're bringing a guy with more experience. He's been a head coach, done all those things, been a head coach and a general manager. Well, I feel pretty comfortable in my own skin, uh, who I am. I wanted to get the best guy in here, uh, help us win. Chris wants to do that, but I also felt like our players deserved that opportunity to play for a guy with Chris Calder as the coordinator. Uh, that is pretty selfless from Ryan Dinwiddie to realize, okay, yeah, people are going to view this as a threat, but I view this as an opportunity for us going forward to have him on the defense. And I do wonder how Rich Stubler feels about this, but Rich Stubler's been around forever. He's seen every type of coaching situation, and he probably thought that he was in control of it. But again, you give up 30 points to Saskatchewan when they don't play fantastic. And while one game sample size and the defense being called a little bit differently, it's tough. The thing I'm really interested in going into Friday night is how on earth are they going to ask Chris Jones, okay, hey, call all of our stuff and then work in some of your stuff. And it's not that it's impossible because as Dinwiddie says, he's been grinding away in the hotel, getting set for this opportunity. But I just genuinely wonder how, how is that supposed to be? How are we supposed to hit that point where it feels smooth and seamless and you're not calling two different defenses and the players aren't confused and they understand the coverages? With Montreal being a vertical passing attack, I would watch out for a couple of busts in this game. And I'm not saying Chris Jones is going to make their team worse. He's not. It's going to make them better in the long term. But in this week against this team that throws the ball that way with Kahari Jones coming back and being on the sidelines and giving Vernon Adams Jr. some comfort and some normalcy, I do wonder whether or not the front end doesn't match the back end at times and if that can lead to a breakdown. So I would think Montreal is going to go a couple of double moves and take some shots down the field, have an opportunity to put up some points. And then it becomes a question in this game of whether or not Nick Arbuckle can play shot for shot with a vertical throwing attack as he's certainly developed and seemed more comfortable throwing the ball down the field lately. But what does that mean going into this game if he's trailing by 7, 10, 14? If you start the fourth quarter and you're down by 10 to 14 points, can Arbuckle throw you back into this thing? I think he can, but Bernard Adams Jr. is not going to stop throwing vertically either. He's going to stay aggressive throughout the game. So it should be a great one. I wanted to finish this out uh, by just emptying the Chris Jones file in celebration of Chris Jones coming back to the Canadian Football League. We used to have a lot of fun with this on Hamilton Radio where we would play some clips of Chris Jones. He's a great quote, whether it's because of the, the Tennessee twang or otherwise. But uh, here's Chris Jones, uh, the file of great sound clips without any context for you, just a rapid-fire barrage to send you into your CFL Wednesday. Football world is small. I mean, and so you get calls from this guy and that guy, and you never know really what to believe and that type thing. And people will call and say, hey, you know, so-and-so asked me, you know, some real strong questions about you and that kind of thing. And so I've been fielding those for about a month now, and so I figured there, were, there was some kind of interest. Very good offense, very good football team. Uh, you know, you got to give hats off to them. Anytime you get your quarterback hit, you have an opportunity to get your guy knocked out. Well, I think you look at the scoreboard and – uh, tell that the defense didn't play very well. 
Playing DB is not always glamorous. I can't do anything else. I mean, I better be able to coach football. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I can't. Uh, you know, I can't paint. I can't. You know, I can't roof. You know, I mean, I, I can, hopefully I can coach football. Thank you a lot. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to say, uh, you know, how happy that uh, that I am to to be in this situation. I mean, I'm from a little small place down in Tennessee, a town called South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and and to have somebody to have this opportunity uh, again. I woke up this morning uh, with a smile on my face, and that is an evergreen uh, press conference sound right there from Chris Jones. Of, I'm so thankful to have this opportunity in the CFL because he is back. And he is going to uh, make things, I think, very difficult for quarterbacks going forward in the CFL season. I, I didn't actually look at the betting lines or how any of this stuff kind of works, but I, I do wonder what impact him being in and around uh, the Canadian Football League had on those lines for people that actually know. I'm not sure how educated some of these things are right now uh, for uh, the people that are building out these lines uh how much do they know about the cfl but eh, maybe we can tackle that for a different day i know dt will be back and talk about that for now thanks for listening have yourselves a great wednesday and enjoy the tie cats and the red blacks